Good evening. How you doing? Y'all are brave showing up for 15 through 18. This is the fun part. As, as, I, as I told you before, for some reason this semester I seem to be wrath man. Uh, I, all the, I finally got Jay. So I got sick last week, so at least Jay had to teach some wrath, okay? I keep thinking this is a plot, but uh, I'm not sure. That was, that was gonna, yeah, we're, we're the bowls of wrath. I was going to tell you, let's, yeah, I think Jay put let's go bowling in the email, didn't he? I was going to do you know, pre-bowling, bowling, post-bowling, and then songs about bowling. Um, it's kind of, kind of what the four chapters are. Um, <laughs> yeah, this is, this, is, uh, this is brutal stuff. This is brutal stuff. This, this is why those first five chapters are so important, right? This is why we, we talk about this starting in worship, right? It starts with John in worship, right, and his faithfulness to God's rhythm, and then the letters to the churches, and then the throne room. Right, and and to keep in mind the ancient of days is on even during what we're getting ready to read, right? The ancient of days is on his throne, and the Lamb is victorious, right? Jesus wins through all this, right? Because what we're getting ready to walk into is the end of grace, the end of mercy. That was, it struck me. We were. Uh, I was, I was working, we had the NFL draft here in town, if you notice the 600,000 people in Nashville. Um, I was watch, watching the draft, not really, I'm, I'm a reasonable football fan, but not, not a big football fan. I have a buddy up in, in Boston, Steve. Steve actually takes the day before the draft off to prepare, and then takes the draft off, and I don't know whether he helps the Patriots draft or what he does, but he, he takes those days off. From I'm not quite that serious, but when the, the Titans pick came up, uh, the 19th pick of the first round... Um, I turned over, I, I was up there working, it was on the TV, I watched, and they picked a gentleman named Jeffrey Simmons. He was a, a, a big defensive lineman from Mississippi State. And uh, from, what I, from what I can tell, I, I haven't researched this deeply, but I can tell he was a, he was a model student, a uh, leader at, at, at Mississippi State, uh, a, a leader on and off the field. But at 17, before he had enrolled in Mississippi State, his mom and another woman had been in a fight, and he got arrested, for, and there's video of him hitting this other woman. And he was, he was charged with simple assault. He paid restitution, paid her medical bills, and has been repentant of it. But as, uh, as soon, and most of the players, when they're drafted, right, they show him shaking hands with the commissioner and show, hold up the jersey. With him, they switched back to the four analysts and started talking about that video. And I was like, well, that's, that's, pretty, that's, pretty, that's pretty tough. And so I was talking to Benjamin the next day, and I asked him, I said, Benjamin, in, in our culture, what constitutes forgiveness? So where's, where's forgiveness come from? And as Benjamin does, he said, Daddy, our culture imitates a lot of things of God, which is ironic given what we learned last week, right? The false trinity. Right with with Satan and the and the and the false false antichrist, right? The antichrist, the false Christ, and the false prophet. That it's an imitation of the Trinity. He said our culture. He said our culture imitates love. He says it ha- it has love, but it's not real love. He said it it has power, but it's not real power. He said it has might, and it's not real might. He said, but there's one thing our culture can't imitate, and that's redemption. said, our culture has no way to imitate redemption. 
And if you watch how our world is working, what are we missing? Redemption, right? There's no way to be redeemed. And guess what? Outside of Jesus, they're right. Outside of Jesus, they're right. Praise be to God that he has redeemed us. Amen? Praise be to God that he has redeemed us. But where we get to tonight is the end of redemption, the end of grace, the end of mercy. Right, we, had the, we, la- we ended last week with the harvest, right? the sickle. Blood 184 miles long, the depth of a horse's bridle. And so the judgment comes, right? This is judgment day. And as light as this introduction is, that's about all the, all the lightness we're going to see. There are certainly periods of worship in this. But this is, this, the periods of worship emphasize the justness and righteousness of God in all of this. And it's really hard to hear because what we, what we like to think is there is something good in us, right? There's something good in us. There's something deserving in us. There is not. There is not. Jesus saves us. We all deserve wrath. We all deserve judgment. Praise be to God that Jesus saves us. And we have a thunderstorm for a background. How incredibly appropriate. See, Cliff left and I lost my soundtrack and so God decided to provide me another one. See, he he does stuff like that. He does stuff like that. All right. Chapter 15, ladies and gentlemen. This, by the way, is going to be a Bible drill. So keep your Bibles open if you want to stretch your thumbs. Be ready to turn. I've got 17 pages of teaching notes and 17 pages of scripture references. So... We, we fix it to be on a Bible drill. All right. Let's start with 15, 1 through 8. Let's, we'll, we'll read it and, uh, and uh, come back and talk about it. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last, for with them the wrath of God is finished. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire. And also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name, standing beside the sea of glass with the harps of God in their hand. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All the nations will come and worship you. For your righteous acts have been revealed. After this I looked, and the sanctuary of the tent of witness in heaven was opened. And out of the sanctuary came the seven angels with the seven plagues, clothed in pure, bright linen, with golden sashes around their chest. And one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever. And the sanctuary was filled with smoke and the glory of God from his power. And no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues from the seven angels were finished. Right, and so he made preparations. They made preparations for for 
for judgment. So God's wrath will be finished. So verse 1 tells us. Leviticus 26, 21 says, Then if you walk contrary to me and will not listen to me, I will continue striking you sevenfold for your sins. And once he said, These are the last of the plagues in that they complete the warnings of God to an impenitent world. Impenitent world. All that remains is the final judgment itself. Right, and so the nations would well. First, the fire, right? That had it, that the that the sea of glass had fire. And that fire represents judgment. Um, it's interesting that the song, right, it's the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb, right? It's a crossing of the Old Testament and the New. Um, and in Exodus, it's it's really a combination of Exodus fifteen, the beginning of Exodus fifteen, and Revelation five through five eight through fourteen. Exodus 15, 1 through 8 says, Then Moses and the people of Israel sang the song of the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war, and the Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host he, he, he cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them, and they went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power, and your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters pile up. The floods stood up in a heap. The deep congeals in the heart of the sea. And that's combined with Revelation 5, 8 through 14, back where we were in the throne room, right? And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and the golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to open the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God and from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made the kingdom and priest to our God and they shall reign on earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads of thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Amen. So who sings, right? Every tribe, nation, language, people. We talked about, Jay talks about, right, when this is going to be over. It's when everyone has heard, the, has, has heard the gospel, right? When we get to heaven, it's going to be every tribe and nation and people and language, right? How beautiful is that? How encouraging is that, right? That this is for all people, all nations. That's who's going to worship, right? And, they, and this, was, this was what really caught me. They don't sing of victory over the beast, but the sovereignty of the king. They don't gloat in victory over the beast, but they sing to the glory and sovereignty of our king. We should take something from that. We should take something from that. Right? 
We don't glory in, in the sin. We glory in God's greatness, in the Lord's majesty, in his, in, his, in, his, in his redemptive plan for us, right? In his grace and his mercy. That's what we celebrate. That's what we celebrate. I thought that was just beautiful. That was just beautiful, right? And, and it's a high view of God. God's gotten to be, right, Jesus is my friend, right? It's been kind of the mantra of the last 15, 20, 25 years, in churches, it's kind of making Jesus our, our buddy. Right? Was that the movie that said, he, you know, my Jesus wears a tuxedo t-shirt because he's formal but likes to party? Right? Jesus is, that's a very low view of Jesus. This is a high view of Jesus. And I think we miss that a lot in, in kind of how we talk about Jesus. This is, this is a great and mighty and powerful God, great and mighty Jesus. And I think we lose that a lot in, in a lot of the language that we use, right? And God's glory and power will be displayed, right? He sees the tent. I thought it was interesting that he sees the tent of witness, not the temple. This is the tabernacle that he sees. The angels come out of the tabernacle, right? And we've, he's seen his temple in a previous vision, but he sees the tabernacle, which is the portable, right? The, the, the tent of God they carry along with them. I, just, I, thought, that was, I thought that was fascinating, that, that, that Exodus theme, that this is the last deliverance. This is the judgment, right? Just like coming through the Red Sea. He is delivering his people. He is delivering his people. Um, seven angels with the plagues, right? The, the living creature from, from chapter four. Um, and so much of this imagery was in the, in the Old Testament. Um, Genesis fifteen seventeen, uh, When the sun had, had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot from a flaming torch passed between these pieces. Right? That was when he, he signed, did the covenant with Moses. Right, and he walked between the pieces to say, let, you know, and what that says in the, in, the, in the Old Testament covenants was, let what happened to this animal happen to me if I don't uphold this covenant. Right, and that was the presence of God, right? It was, it was in a flaming torch. Exodus 19, 18, now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. And the smoke of it went up like smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. Exodus 40, 34, 35, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Right, in 1 Kings 8, 10, and 11. And when the priests had come out of the holy place, a cloud filled the house of the Lord. So that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. Right, the glory of the Lord is filling this tabernacle. And that is an ongoing right reminder of God's holiness. God's holiness is manifest in his time of judgment. God's holiness is manifest in his time of judgment. Thank you for the thunderstrike. Right? This is a holy God judging the world. All right, chapter 60. Yikes. The seven bowls of wrath. Let's read the whole thing and we'll walk through it.
And I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth. And harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. And the second angel poured out his bowl into the sea. And it became like the blood of a corpse. And every living thing died that was in the sea. The third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water and they became blood. And I heard the angel in charge of the water say, just are you. O holy one, who is and who was. For you brought these judgments, for they have shed the blood of the saints and prophets, and you had given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, Lord God, the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. And they were scorched by the fierce heat, and they cursed the name of God who had power over these plagues. They did not repent and give him glory. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. The people gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores, they did not repent of their deeds. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs. For they are demonic spirits performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle on the great day of God the Almighty. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. And they assembled them at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, It is done. And there were flashes of lightning, rumbles, peals of thunder, and a great earthquake, such that there never such that there never been since man was on the earth. So great was that earthquake. The great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And God remembered Babylon the Great to make her drain the cup of wine of the fury of his wrath. And every island fled away, and no mountains were to be found. The great hailstones, about 100 pounds each, fell from heaven on people. And they cursed God for the plague of the hail, because the plague was so severe. Yikes. Well, and as we talked about before, we should have a high view of God and a low view of man, but we often have a high view of ourselves and a low view of God. And that invokes his wrath, right? And these last seven plagues are analogous to the seven plagues of Egypt and the trumpet judgments, but this intensity is drastically greater. And it's meant to be climactic and final, never to be repeated. Do not miss the fact that God is doing 
you say that again. Do not miss the fact that God is doing this. Got it? So God will send disease. John hears the loud voice 20 times in, in Revelation. This is certainly the, the voice of God. Um, and guard, God's fierce anger and righteous judgment is poured out in full measure on an unrepentant and rebellious, rebellious world. Right? And it starts off with the, with the painful sores, which is like the Egyptian plague, right? Exodus 9. 9 through 11, and it says, It shall become fine dust of the land of Egypt and become boils breaking out in sores on man and beast throughout all the land of Egypt. So they took soot from the kiln and stood before Pharaoh. And Moses threw it in the air, and it became boils breaking out in sores on man and beast. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils, for the boils came upon the magicians and upon the Egyptians, right? The story of Job, of course, right? So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with loathsome sores from the soles of his foot to the crown of his head. Yeah, right? And Lazarus, right? Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. Luke. And Zechariah 14, 12. And this shall, be, this shall be the plague with which the Lord will strike all the people that wage wars against Jerusalem. Their flesh will rot while still standing on their feet. Their eyes will rot in their sockets and their tongues will rot in their mouths. More happy things, right? And the sores came upon those. And remember the, the mark of the beast. And so it was only the unbelievers, right, that suffered this plague. Those with the mark of the beast. And you remember you had to have the mark of the beast to, to buy and sell. And so it was like, and Jay talked about this. This is one of the imitations, right? God had sealed, God had sealed with his mark the believers. And Satan sealed with his mark those that don't believe. And God in the second plague, God will destroy the seas. And this is uh, the parallel is the first Egyptian plague, which was Exodus 7:19. And the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over the rivers, their canals, their ponds, and all their pools of water, so they may become blood. And there shall be blood throughout all of the land of Egypt, even in the vessels of wood and in the vessels of stone. All right, seas cover 70% of the earth. Seas cover 70% of the earth. Right? The blood of a corpse and every living thing died. Right? One of the commentaries said that makes the term watery grave take on a very new meaning. Is that terrifying? And then he does the same to the fresh waters, right? It was, and this is reminiscent of both the first Egyptian plague and the third trumpet, right? In Revelation 8. 10 through 11, right? The third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch. And it fell on a third of the rivers and the springs of water, right? The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood, and many peoples died from the water because it had become bitter. Bitter, right? And, and, and the drought brought on by the two witnesses, right? They, back in Revelation 11, they have the power to shut the sky that no rain may fall during the days of their prophesying. And they have the power over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they desire. But this is the culmination of those things in this bowl of wrath. Right? And then the third angel breaks into song. 
just like we heard back in 15, that God is and was and is holy in bringing these judgments, and they're getting what they deserve, right? Drinking blood because they took the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs. I love the fact that the altar speaks, right? Does anybody remember who's under the altar? Saints, right? Revelation 6, 9 through 11, Right, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they bore. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And they were given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were killed as they themselves had been. Right, so the saints under the altar crying, how long? Right, and now they hear them. Right, their voice is heard. Yes, Lord Almighty, true and just are your judgments. Right, vengeance for the saints. Genesis 8.25, right? Far be it from you to do such a thing to put the righteous to death with the wicked so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be it from you shall not the judge of the earth do what is just. Psalm 19.9, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. And the commentary said, the apocalypse is fully in agreement. God is never arbitrary, capricious, or vengeful in his judgment. He is always fair, just, and true. His is the only bar of perfect justice. There is a logic and righteousness in his judgment. We glorify him in his righteous wrath. We glorify him in his righteous wrath. All right, so the fourth bowl is poured out not on the earth but on the sun. And people are scorched with the heat. All right, and that comes... That comes It comes like Revelation 8, right? The, the fourth trumpet with the sun and the, the darkened, which is in contrast to the fourth trumpet, which darkened the sun, the moon, and the stars, right? It says, the fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, a third of the stars, so that a third of their light may be darkened, and a third of the day may be kept from shining, and likewise a third of the night. This has the, the sun scorch us, right? MacArthur says, searing heat exceeding anything in human experience will scorch men so severely that it will seem the atmosphere is on fire. Right? And we don't know specifically what happens. But we do see their response, right? They curse the name of God. They curse the name of God. And we see that a lot, right? When people get consequences from their sins, instead of repenting, you go one of two ways, right? You either repent, turn to God, or you curse him. And we continue to see them cursing God. <laughs> yeah, knowing from whom and why the plagues come, they revile rather than repent. They revile rather than And they, and they do that throughout chapter 16. And God has been patient in his long suffering, right? That's 2 Peter 5, 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should gather repentance, right? 
And they're given multiple chances, but in the end, his righteous judgment comes. Right? His righteous judgment comes. And so God will destroy the kingdom of the Antichrist. Right? And so the, the, this is like the ninth plague of Egypt, uh, where you know, the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven, and now there may be darkness over the land of Egypt. And it was the throne of the beast, the, the throne of the Antichrist is his, is his object. Um, we don't really know what the darkness is, right? Whether it's an economic or actual physical darkness. Uh, Mark 13, 24 through 27 says, But in those days after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with a great power and glory. And he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds and the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. Right? And the God in heaven is a, is a reference from Daniel. 2.44. This is why we went through all this stuff. Right? These are all, this, all of this culminates really almost in these four chapters. And in the days of those, the king of God of heaven will set, up a, will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another, other, another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. And this is the final time we're told they don't repent. final time we're told they don't repent. So this is the end of grace. This is the end of mercy. This day will come. We don't live like this day comes very much. We don't think our unbelieving friends are going to be under this judgment. Please understand, everyone that does not accept Christ this is their fate. This is their fate. Right? People gnawed their tongues in anguish. Have you ever bitten your tongue? That hurts. Can you imagine doing that to relieve yourself? I broke a tooth a couple weeks ago before I got sick. It was the inside of a molar, and so there's a, a sharp piece of the inside of my molar that if you touch it with your finger, would cut your finger. And every time my tongue moved to the left side of my mouth, it hit the underside of my tongue. See, I learned really quickly to hold my tongue on the right side of my mouth, right? Because that hurts. I mean, there, there is a, that is a pain like no other to have a razor cutting the underside of your tongue. These people were gnawing their tongue in relief. Gnawing their tongue to relieve their pain. God will gather his enemies for the final battle, right? This river Euphrates is, is referred to several times as a great river, right? Genesis 15, Deuteronomy, right? Uh, back in Revelation 9, the sixth angel, right, released the four angels who are bound by the great river Euphrates. So this is a significant, it runs 1,800 miles from Mount Ariat to the Persian Gulf, and it's kind of the eastern boundary of the promised land. It's the lifeblood of the fertile crescent of the agriculture for that whole reason, region. It's from this river. 
And so it's dried up to make ways for the king of the east. We don't really know. It's probably related to the army from the sixth trumpet. If you remember back in Revelation 9, it says, Then the sixth angel blew his trumpet, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had prepared for this hour, the day, the month, and the year were released to kill a third of mankind. The number of mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. I heard their number. And this is how I saw the horses in my vision. They rode them. They were breastplates the color of fire and sapphire and of sulfur. And the heads of the horses were like lion's heads and fire and smoke and sulfur came out of their mouths. By the th- these plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire and smoke and sulfur coming out of their mouths. For the power of the horses is in their mouths and their tails, for their tails are like serpents with heads. By means of them they wound. Right, these are the armies coming from the east. And then the three unclean spirits, right, from the false trinity. Um, you know, frogs, of course, are unclean animals at Leviticus 10, right? Anything from the seas or the rivers that does not have fins or scales of the swarming creatures of the waters and of the living creatures that are in the waters is detestable to you. Every swarming thing that swarms on the ground is detestable, is not to be eaten. Um, they, they perform deceptive miracles, right? They perform miracles to gather the kings of the earth together. So not all miracles that you see are from God. Not all miracles that you see are from God. Right? There are false miracles. Hmm. They assemble the kings for an earthly battle, not really realizing the battle is not on the earth. <laughs> it's a battle, it's a spiritual battle. Right? But they gather the kings. Um, all right, many will be caught by surprise and, and unprepared. That's First Thessalonians 5, 2. For you yourselves fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Right, we don't know when the day is coming, but we're to be prepared. All right, so be ready. And on that day, the deceptive propaganda will be fully exposed. Um, assembled at Armageddon. Uh, Armageddon is, is a reference to a, a hill, Megiddo, lying on a coastal plain. There have been a ton of battles there. It's a very strategic location. Um, that name itself, right, has kind of become the cultural, cultural name for the war to end all wars. Right? World War I was Armageddon. If you look at the way that was fought, right, the, the tactics that were used, some of them are banned to warfare even today. They were just so horrific, just so horrific what they did. Right, but we, we, we do see that history will end in a cataclysmic world war and Armageddon will serve as the focal point. However, geography is not the primary concern. Uh, Munsey was a, is a theologian says, geography is not the major concern. Wherever it takes place, Armageddon is symbolic of the final overthrow of all the forces of evil by the might and power of God. The great conflict between God and Satan, Christ and the Antichrist, good and evil, that lies behind the perplexing course of history will in the end issue in a final struggle in which God emerges victorious and take with him all who have placed their faith in him. This is Armageddon. And God will conclude his judgment giving sinners what they deserve. 
This is similar to the seventh trumpet, even the seventh, seventh seal, but certainly in much greater magnitude. Um, where it pours it out into the, into the, into the air. You, know, you hear the lightning and the thunder. An earthquake night, none other shakes the earth. I don't know if you've ever been in an earthquake. I've been in a very minor earthquake. They're incredibly disconcerting. I mean, all of a sudden, everything around you starts shaking. It's like, we're, it's like an altered reality. And, and I can't, I've not been through anything like the major earthquakes they have in California. I can't, or in, the, or in the, the Far East. I can't fathom, yeah, I can't fathom what those are like. You know, like I said, I've been through a couple of minor ones, and they, they're, they're rattling enough, so I can't imagine one that basically brings things to an end, Right? In verse 19, right, the city that would seem to be Babylon, which are going to be the focuses of chapter 17 and 18, uh, the, the, there was an interpretation since Rome, and certainly in that day it would, be, it would be with good reason with the oppression they were, they were under that we've talked about before. But it's certainly, if you look at it, it's, more, it's really more than Rome. Um, it's, it's really the, the city that stands in opposition to God and to the new Jerusalem. And we'll, we'll get to that in chapter 21 and 22. And we see Babylon falls completely because God remembers her, right? God has not forgotten God has not forgotten, and she will drink in full measure. And Jesus talks about that in, in when right, she talks about her cup, and Jesus talks about with his disciples, right? When they asked him, you know, can we can we follow you? Jesus says to them, right, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? Or be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink, you will drink. With the baptism I baptize, you will be baptized. Right? That, that, that Jesus drank that cup, this cup of wrath. All of the stuff we are seeing poured out on the earth is what was poured out on Jesus on the cross. All of this wrath, when it talks about God's wrath was poured out on Christ, this is God's wrath. This is what he took for us. Right? This is what we deserve. And this is what he took for us. Mm. Right, and there's hailstones. Um, it's, just, it's just insane, right? Those 100-pound hailstones. I've seen baseball, so I've seen what baseball size hail does. Can you imagine 100 pounds? I think the heaviest hailstone, I read, looked up somewhere, heaviest hailstone ever dropped was like 1.93 pounds. These things are 50 times that size. It would do my Honda in. It would do my Honda in. Oh, man. And what's their last response, right? <laughs> they cursed God the plague and the hail because the plague was so severe. And they continue to curse God. Y'all still hanging with me? Ugh, I know this is rough. We got two, two more chapters. These are even more fun. Read 17 to verse, let's read 1 through 14.
Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters with whom the king of the earth have committed sexual immorality and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on the earth have become drunk. And he carried me away to a spirit in the wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names. It had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with jewels and per- gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of admonitions and the impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes, of earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. Uh, let's actually pause there. All right, so what we're seeing is a tale of two cities, right? This prostitute is Babylon. That's going to be in contrast to the New Jerusalem. Uh, Babylon represents the evil of the world and the opposition to God. Um, And this keeps coming back to who do you worship. All of this comes back with who do you worship. And what we'll see is it's really easy. You're going to hear me say this a couple more times. It's really easy to wake up and find yourself a Babylonian. The world is so seductive. The world feels so right. The world seems so right to a worldly mind. And that's the reason, that's the reason this analogy is made this way. Is that this is the ways of the world. This is how the world really is. Right? And Piper says, that's the goal, right? Who do you, the whole, this whole thing about who do you worship? Piper says, that's the goal of everything the angels have been revealing. That's the whole book of, what the whole book of Revelation is about. That's the point of all God's judgments, all God's dealings with the world, all God's plans from history, from beginning to end, have one goal. Worship God. Don't worship the wealth of Babylon. Don't worship the power of Babylon. Don't worship the pleasures of Babylon and don't even worship the holy messenger who brings you the news that Babylon has fallen forever. Worship God. Right? Unfortunately, we are too often seduced and trapped by the world. We don't see it for what it really is and what it leads, right? We don't have it, ex- but we need to have it exposed, uncovered, and shown to us. And that goes, my, one of my favorite passages is over here in Deuteronomy 30. And I love this because God, and as you all know, I taught that Bible study for three and a half years, three hours a week on Deuteronomy. So you can pray for the people who survived that. But if everything, if you look at Deuteronomy, it has tentacles that go all the way out through the Bible. It, 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 it goes everywhere. And Deuteronomy 30, 11 through 20 says, For this commandment I have given you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it. Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away and you will not hear but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today, you shall surely perish. 
you shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him. For he is your life and length of days. That you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give them. Right? He, he says, I set before you today life and death. And then he gives you the answer. Choose life. That's about the easiest test there is. He gives you the question and the answer in nine verses. And yet most will fall away. Right? Most will fall away. Right? The world is seductive. It will attract you. Right, this is really an extension of the bowl judgments. Um, one of the bowl angels right, takes John and sees the notorious prostitute who sits on many waters. In verse 15, we'll see that the waters can uh, constitute the peoples of the world. Um, and she deuces both king and common people. Um, the, spirit, the image is really of spiritual ad adultery and idolatry. Um, even the common people are, are drunk with the wine of sexual immorality. Look at our world. We are drunk on the wine of sexual immorality. Right? The lust for power, material possessions, sex, and pleasure intoxicates the world. No one es escapes or enticing allurements. Right? That's what we wrote the whole book of Ecclesiastes on this. Right? That I've seen everything. I've seen all right, and, and it all comes to nothing. Right? Solomon, wisest man to ever live. I've seen all of this, and it comes to nothing, and yet we still pursue it, and yet we still pursue it. Our friends pursue it, right? She's captivated the heart and taken over lives. First uh, John 2, 15 and 16, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Right? And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Right? These things have become our job. And that's the problem with the American dream. That's the problem with the American dream. I'm thankful for the country I live in. I, my whole family's military. Okay? Granddaddy was a Marine. Daddy was a test pilot. We've got cousins that are SEALs and we've got nephews that's a SEAL, Rangers. I mean, we, we've got the whole thing. I'm thankful for their sacrifice. But this country is not the ultimate, right? I'm thankful for the freedoms we have. I'm thankful for what we have. But the American dream is not the ultimate. Following God is the ultimate. It's been interesting to watch because Benjamin at Princeton is in one of the power centers of the world. He's a stack of business cards of, of Nobel Prize winning scientists, right? He meets people, he, you, know, you, you name the names of the people he meets day in, day out, and I'm, you can look them up, right? Because that's the center of worldly power. What I'm encouraged by is that he maintains his godliness. Because the world doesn't need more powerful people, they need more godly people. 
They need people who follow Christ and can speak into that world and to speak into our world, right? Speak to your neighbors. Speak to the people we work with, right? Because Benjamin is not going to have any more influence than the rest of us, right? Because it's God's power, not our power. It's God's position and not our position that causes his kingdom to go forth, right? Benjamin's just doing what he's called, just like you and me, right? Just doing what he's called. And that's what we all have to do. Right, and that's what that's where my comment, right? It's not hard to right with all the all the seduction, right? Because we're seduced, right? Put your put your faith in your 401k, right? right? Put your faith in your education. Put your faith in your job. Right? Put your faith in who you know. Right? Is that what we put our faith in? No. So he's carried away by the spirit to a vision in the desert. Right, the beast is the Antichrist of chapter 13. She is attractive and, and beautiful like any adulteress. Let me do a couple of these passages. Proverbs 5, 1 through 6. My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter and as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander. She does not know it. Proverbs 6, 20 and 25, 20 through 25. My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will talk with you. For the commandment is a lamp and teaching of light. And the reproofs of discipline are the way of life to preserve you from the evil woman. Far from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. Do not desire her beauty in your heart, and do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. That was a fascinating detail. And then Proverbs 7, 16 through 27. I have spread my couch with coverings, colored linens from Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with mirror, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us fill our love till morning. Let our desire delight ourselves with love. For my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him. At full moon, he will come home. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. All at once, he follows her. As an ox goes to the slaughter, or as a stag is caught fast, till an arrow pierces its liver. As a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. And now, O sons, listen to me and be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her path, for many a victim has she laid low, and all her slain are mighty, a mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol, going down to chambers of death. Right? She's beautiful and attractive, right? But brings death. Now, that echoes back to Genesis 3. I know I've said this in here before, right? All the trees in the garden look the same. All the trees in the garden, they were pleasing to the eye and good for food. All the trees of the garden. But one was forbidden because it would bring death. What I've said is, right, sometimes every, it will all look the same. The only thing that will allow you to discern what will, what will nourish you versus what will destroy you is God's truth. Sometimes the only way to discern between what will nourish you and what will destroy you 
is God's truth. It all looks the same to the world. Right? Johnson says, The golden cup filled with wine alludes to Jeremiah's description of Babylon's worldwide influence and idolatry. Right? Babylon was, was a golden cup in the Lord's hand, making all the earth drunken. The nations drank of her wine, therefore the nations went mad. Right? Her cup filled with abominable things. Another commentary said, The idols of heart and life are filled to the brim as she shares them with a senseless humanity that falls into a drunken stupor no longer able to see real truth, beauty, and goodness, found only in God and his salvation through the Lamb. Have you seen people, we, we've dealt a lot with addiction. Our family's got a lot of different kinds of addiction. They will get to a point, those addicts will get to a point where they can't see beauty, truth, and goodness. They can't even see beauty, truth, and goodness because they're so consumed with what they're addicted to. You lose sight of truth, beauty, and goodness. Right, and so the harlot's identity is revealed. Like the Roman prostitutes today, they had a headband which identified them. Um, she's the mother of prostitutes, not just a prostitute, but the mother of prostitutes. Right, the mother of prostitutes and the earth abominations, right? This is a, the godless systems that lead people away from the worship of God and to their own destruction. She is an ever-present reality in every generation. Right, of this world this world perspective. Those seduced by her run headlong into their own destruction. That's Proverbs 6, 32 and 33, right? He who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. He will get wounds and dishonor and the disgrace will not be wiped away. Right now. Right, and this world is murderous. It takes innocent life. Right? Babylonianism is driven by self-interest, willing to sacrifice others to promote its own benefits and prosperity. Y'all remember when we talked through um, the world, the worldviews? Right? We talked about kind of there's four questions that all worldviews have to answer. Right? Origin, meaning, morality, and destiny. Who am I? Why am I here? What's wrong with the world? And is there any hope? We said the world would answer those questions, right? And the world answers, you know, who am I? The world says you're a single-cell organism run amok. Right? There is no intrinsic value in you. And you are here to consume and enjoy. Right? Matter of fact, we get in trouble. Our economy slows down if you don't consume enough. Right? The system starts to break down if you don't consume enough. So you're here with, so no one has intrinsic value. And we're here to consume and enjoy. What's the only question that we ask, Right? In relationship, right? So do, do I get to consume and enjoy or do you get to consume and enjoy, right? So our relationship is power. Babylon is all about power. And if you watch the people of this world and how they, and how they relate, it's all about power, right? God is very different, right? God says everyone has intrinsic value, right? And you're here to glorify God. And so if you have intrinsic value and I have intrinsic value, you're here to glorify God and I'm not here to glorify God. What's our relationship? Love. Love. Right? Agape. Self-sacrificing love. Because you have intrinsic value, I have intrinsic value, you're here to glorify God, I'm here to glorify God. Right? But Babylon is all about power. Right? All about power. Um, I mean, you, you see it in abortion, euthanasia, genocide, infanticide. I mean, go look at what's going on. 
Right, look, and, and, and here, right, in the Western world is bad. Everybody kind of goes back to you know, third world countries and backwoods. Look what's going on here. Look at the decisions here, right? The, 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 you know, the casting crowns lyric that says, right, we're sung to sleep by philosophies that save the trees and kill the children. We're sung to sleep by philosophies that save the trees and kill the children. You thought about that? It's not them, it's us. It's not them, it's us. We, we live in Babylon. We live in Babylon. That was one of the concerns about sending Benjamin to college where he went. It's just like, to me, it was like sending Daniel to Babylon. You know, praise, praise God. God has kept his hand on him. He's kept his faith. I mean, pra- praise be to God. But, you know, that, that's, what those, that's what those colleges do. They reprogram people to the ways of the world, efficiently run the ways of the world, right? Not our world. Mm. Right? Life is discounted at the edges. Life is discounted at the edges, Right? We talked about that when we talked about the, uh, the, the questions last semester. Right? The Pete Singer says Benjamin, when he was diagnosed with cerebral palsy, we should have, should have euthanized him. Right? And Micah, who was born 27 years old, my other son, we should, we should never have tried to save. Right? It cost enormous amounts of money for Benjamin to walk and for Micah to, be, to exist. Right? Because you cut off life at the edges. Right? You, you have a duty to die. You have a duty to die. This is not radical stuff. This is the Journal of Pediatrics does the infanticide thing. Right? These are medical journals. Right? This is not some radical blog somewhere. Right? The duty to die. These are, these are documented ways the intellectual elite of our culture think. This is Babylon. And her target is the people of God and followers of Jesus. Right? She's drunk with the blood of the saints and martyrs of Jesus. Right, and the seeds of martyrdom were planted by John the Baptist, Stephen, James, and continue on the day. There's a beautiful book called God is Red. A secular, uh, secular journalist, uh, well, there was a doctor who was incredibly successful, I think in, in Taiwan or Hong Kong, that uh, gave up his practice, became a Christian, gave up his practice, moved out in the middle of nowhere of China. And so this journalist was impressed that somebody would do something, and he was not a, the journalist was not a believer. He said, can I come out and write a book on you? He said, no, but you can come out and see the people that I talked to. And the book that he wrote, and this is written by an atheist, it's called God is Red. And it's 18 chapters, about 18 stories of martyr, Christian martyrs in rural China. And it is a staggering book. It is a staggering book. One of the chapters, when, when the communists first took over, food was in unbelievably scarce. And they would wait for the Christians to die so they could eat them. Because the Christians were unwilling to, pr- to practice cannibalism. Praise God. But they would wait for the Christians to die and eat them. When the communists first came over, they told them you had to beat the Christians. So they would parade the Christian around town and your friends and neighbors. It'd be like here, right? If all your friends and neighbors, they decided they had to beat Christians, they would lead you through your neighborhood and your friends and neighbors would beat you with sticks. Would beat you. Do you still follow Jesus? It's a rough book, but it is encouraging. That martyrdom continues today, right? The 20th century was the bloodiest in Christian history. And the 21st isn't off to any better start, right? 
Although the Neronian massacre after the great fire of AD 64 may have been in the black back of John's mind, the junk, drunken prostitute pictures the final days of persecution at the end of the age, right? The blood will continue to flow. Will you embrace it? Will you embrace it? Right? Philippians 1.21, for me to live as Christ, to die as gain. Amen? To live as Christ, to die as gain. Wow. We got to move. Sorry. All right. Uh, 17.6. Let's, uh, let's, let's continue on. When I saw her, I marveled greatly. But the angel said to me, why do you marvel? I tell you the mystery of the woman and the beast and of the seven heads and ten horns that carries her. The beast that you saw was and is not was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. And the dwellers of the earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast because it was and is not and is to come. Right? Get those echoes? This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. There are also seven kings, five of whom have fallen. One is, the other has not yet come. And when he does come, he must remain only a little while. Let's pause there. All right. So uh, the vision of the prostitute amazed John, right? So John was amazed at this vision, right? He marveled greatly. Right, but the angel says, let me give you a further explanation. Right? Verse 8 is the parody of the death, burial, and resur- resur- resurrection of Jesus. Right? And, and um, this is, I, I love this thing from, the, from one of the commentaries. It said, throughout multiple history, throughout history, multiple antichrists, right? 1 John 2, 4, 18, have risen from the abyss in the form of the beast that reigned their terror. They have a time, they die, and then amazingly, they appear again only to be destroyed. The pattern repeats itself again and again and will continue until the antichrist, the beast, brings the cycle to an end. The priorities and values of this world system make themselves known in empires and men consumed with the idols of the world. The beast has been Egypt, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, the Ottomans, the Soviet Union, Communist China, and now the Western world. It has been Anicus Ephesus, Nero, Domitian, Genghis Khan, Shaka Zulu, Mussolini, Hitler, Stalin, Mao, Pol Pot, Idi Amin, Kim Il Sun, Saddam Hussein. Right? We've, Jay told the Jay has the book right that has "Know Your Antichrist," right? The, the little book for for the end of the world. Not all were equally even, but they all love the prostitute more than they love the world. And remember, regular people, not just kings, are seduced by this, right? Generation after generation, we give life to the beast. Generation after generation, we give life to the beast. First right? John 2.17, the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever, right? The American dream is headed for destruction. Right? If what you worship is what you have and what you can get, you're done. Right, and the world's organized and has a plan, right? This drama of redemption play out according to God's plan. And we need wisdom, right, to unravel the mystery of Babylon the Great. Um, 9 through 12 is pretty, uh, yeah, there's no real consensus on the, on the interpretation. And a lot of godly men and women 
um, understand it differently. The phrase seven heads on the seven mountains is almost certainly first century Rome. That was the city on seven hills was what it was called. Um, seven also communicates great power and authority um, and every true coming of the beast. Um, and then in verse 10, right, they, they identify, they've tried to identify them as seven Roman emperors. That's never really worked. Uh, closest thing I, that, that seems to work is, um, you know, they, they, for Israel, there were five kingdoms that had fallen off the scene. Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, and Greece. The one that is would be Rome. The one that's not yet come would be the future kingdom of the Antichrist. Um, and his manifestation will only last a little while. Um, the final kingdom will be great, brutal, splendid, strong, and wicked, like these other empires. It will have its day and pass, but will pale in comparison to God's kingdom. Right? The world has a plan, but God's plan will endure forever. All right, so verse 11, and for the beast... That was and is not and is and it is an eighth, but it belongs to the seven and it goes to destruction. And the ten horns that you saw are ten kings who have not yet received royal power, but they are to receive authority as kings for one hour together with the beast. These are of one mind and they hand over power and authority to the beast. They will make war on the lamb and the lamb will conquer them. For he is Lord of lords and king of kings and those with him are called chosen and faithful. So the world is powerful, but the time's short, right? Um, the beast belongs to the seven kings, but the eighth himself. The beast goes to destruction. Um, MacArthur, MacArthur's view on that says the Antichrist kingdom is to be both the seventh and eighth kingdoms because the supposed demise and resurrection. Or we talked about he had a mortal wound, right, but was raised back. Um, and he is seventh before the eighth king of his resurrection. Um, all the interpretations agree that the king and his kingdoms are going down. Right? God, God wins in the end. Um, the, the additional detail, the ten horns is ten kings that serve alongside the beast. Uh, they have one purpose, to give power and authority to the beast. And later they will kill out, carry out the will of God in, in, in killing the prostitute. Isaiah 48, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Um, yeah, the Christ Center Commentary says the world system Babylonianism will come again and again to seduce, attack, and destroy the people of God. It is influential and powerful. It is intimidating and prosperous. It is enticing and persuasive. It gives every appearance of the promise of victory of the winning team. Get on board or get crushed. Join the team or be called a fool. Worship the beast and whore with the prostitute or live a wasted life. Right, that's the message of every advertisement that's run on television, radio, right? You are not enough. Worship the beast. Worship the beast. Right? The Bible makes it clear, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die is a satanic lie. Right? Tomorrow you stand before the king of kings and lord of lords and give account for your life. The world will last a little while and it's headed for destruction. It is headed for defeat. Right, and then they oppose the lamb. They certainly chose the wrong opponent, right? It's simply a summary of Armageddon in the last battle. Uh, the beast and its kingdom attack the warrior lamb. He is Lord of Lords and King of Kings, title from Deuteronomy 10, 7, Psalms 136, 2 and 3, and Daniel 2, 47. There is no God like our God for opposing him. 
He brings with him all the, right, the, the all-called chosen and faithful. This is the army of 1914. Uh, highlights the biblical balance of divine sovereignty and human responsibility, right? Called and chosen are on God's part. Faithful is on our part. Thankfully, even our faith and faithfulness are, given, are kept by God, right? Jude 24, 25. We are not designated a role in the battle like the first coming. The fight, the fight just like the first coming, the fight in the second coming is all his. Amen. All right, 15 through 18, and I don't see any way we're getting through eight, chapter 18, but we'll, we'll see what we do. All right, and the angel said to me, the waters that you saw where the prostitute is sealed and are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. And the ten horns that you saw, they, are the beast, they, they and the beast will hate the prostitute. They will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. For God has put it in their hearts, for God has put it in their hearts. To carry out his purpose by being of one mind and handing over their royal power to the beast until the final words of God are fulfilled. And the woman that you saw in the great city has the dominion over the kings of the earth. Right, so this has a graphic finality, right? And, it, and that's what, you know, right? prostitutes are not brought home to your mom, right? They are, they are used, Right, and when and when she's used, and this echoes back. Remember the the Ezekiel sixteen and twenty three, right? The whoring of Israel, right? One was the the second was the two sisters. The first was the. I mean, this is all echoes, right? Echoes back of that. Uh, the prostitute lost her appeal. The new love is the Antichrist. They strip of her wealth, her covering, and make her naked. The beast and the kings turn over. Right? Evil attacks evil. <laughs> evil attacks evil. Right, they devour her flesh like the dogs devoured the corpse of Jezebel. Right, go over to First King, Second Kings nine thirty through thirty seven. Her demise will be greatly lamented by her lovers. Right, all of chapter eighteen are songs of lament over this. Right, her destruction will be initiated by God. The kings believe they're carrying out their own conquest, but they're actually accomplishing God's providential will. The woman will be destroyed. The world's religious, economic, and political systems will now be united under the beast's control. Right, the church believed this to be Rome, obviously, uh, but Babylon is a trans. I love this word, transhistorical system of satanic evil present in every age. After the destruction of the woman, all worldly power resides with the Antichrist, who will manifest satanic evil to its fullness. Evil devours evil because God put it in their heart; it was inevitable. I'm gonna take a swing at eighteen. I know we're late. If you have to leave, go ahead and leave. I, I get it. Um, good night. Yeah, I think we'll have to do 18 next week. We're at 745. And hopefully you didn't ask me any questions because I'm up here all by myself. Yeah, James, okay, let's be real clear. Jay is the brains of the outfit, okay? I'm just, I'm just here to make him look good. Wow, we got a lot of questions. Is there a way to get the first two hands out for the study? Sure, send an email to me or Jay. We'll be glad to send them out. I, I, keep, a, I keep a catalog of all this stuff. Um, the warning against uh, draft of Babylon seemed to imply it's impossible to lose one's salvation. Uh, yeah, I mean, you're sealed and reborn. So, yeah, true salvation is, is rebirth. Uh, are false miracles only at the end times or false miracles today? There are false miracles today. Uh, that happens all through time. I think there are false miracles to lead people astray. 
uh, if they were to repent, it was too late for it. Oh, there's time where it becomes too late. I don't know where that line exactly is, but apparently they were not repentant during these bowls of judgment. Right? He kept making them curse God. So, yeah, there comes a point where you don't get to repent anymore. There's an end to grace and an end to mercy. That's what's so terrifying about this whole thing. Which should, right? And, there's, and it's not just this is an end. Death is an end, right? Right? I mean, I got, one of my friends from high school, you know, turned 50 in October, got her colon scope, and she was gone March 1st. 50 years old, stage 4 colon cancer. Right? So our, our friends and neighbors that don't believe, if this does nothing else, I hope this gives you urgency. One, to understand their faith. If she was a, praise God, she was a Christian. She knew Jesus. She's with him now. All good, right? To, to live as Christ, to die as gain. Right? But you don't know when it is for your neighbor. You don't know when it is for those that don't believe. And this is their fate, right? This is their fate. I know we, we got to get the, for the child care stuff. Let me, we'll, we'll let him go. Um, we good? This useful? This was a lot. I, I know this was a lot. I know this was, this is hard stuff, right? That God is righteous and just. And this is what a lot of, there are people that change the lyrics of, of, the, of in Christ alone, right? Because the lyrics say, and the wrath of God is satisfied. They will say the love of God is magnified. They will not even sing about the wrath of God. I think that's a horrific theological mistake. That's a horrific theological mistake. Because his wrath is just as real as his love. Right. We need salvation. We need Jesus. Amen. All right, let's pray. Father God, we're thankful. We're thankful for your grace. Thankful for your son that saves us. Thankful for, thankful for your word. Man. Um, thankful for redemption, Father. That is found in no one but Jesus. And so, Father, if, if this does nothing else, let us understand what, what, what the fate of those that don't believe are, Father. And give this an urgency. Uh, let, let, this, let this kindle in our hearts. Um, a desire uh, to make you known and so that as many as possible may be saved, Father. Now, that we've encountered the truth. Do not let us leave the same people that walked in here an hour and a half ago. Do, do, do Change us, Father. When we encounter your truth, we should be changed. And so, Father, mold us more like Jesus. And let us go from here, Father, thankful of your grace and urgent with your message. It's in the precious name of Christ Jesus that we pray. Amen.